He Died As He Lived by Stuart Hardy Sally remembered the day her daddy died as if it were yesterday. He'd been sat in front of the TV with a half-finished can of lager for at least three hours before Mummy had finished the housework and found his body. Sally's mummy was very annoyed about this. She said they couldn't afford for him to just up and die like that. Sally's mummy was a care worker. She didn't have a whole lot of money coming in. Most of what she brought home each week went on babysitting, with a little bit left over for the grocery shopping. It just wasn't right for Daddy to die right now, and it was probably because of his chain-smoking too. It was just rude. So Sally's mummy had to call the death directors so they could have a chat about their options, because dead and gone forever was off the table. Unfortunately for Sally and her mummy, resurrection and immortality were off the table too. Immortality was far too expensive. Some countries had nationalised it, but in this country it was a subscription package, and it was only really taken up by people on five or six figure incomes, and those people were usually comfortable office workers who didn't have to worry about dying early anyway. Full-on resurrection was even more expensive. The biggest companies that offered resurrection services usually had branches in airports, railway stations and ski resorts, wherever people were most likely to die from accidents, which was something that immortality had never been able to prevent. There were usually resurrection stalls between branches of Starbucks or Burger King, just in case anybody needed to pop in with a fresh corpse that had just had an accident. The death directors who came round that day were very nice. One of them gave Sally a lollipop. He carried a pocket full of them in his trench coat for whenever he had to visit a family that had small children to discuss their post-life options. Even though the entire process of death had been changed beyond all recognition since resurrection and immortality had been put onto the market, children still tended to react badly to death. The reason for this was that so many people chose to opt out of having a life extension. Immortality and resurrection companies had never understood why some people were happier to just end their lives at 70 or 80, just like people used to back in the old days. Who doesn't want to live forever? Life's fantastic, isn't it? The market research teams found that some people were just fine with death. They didn't bother becoming immortal and just went whenever they went. Death was still a popular option, so regardless of whether they understood the appeal or not, all death directors would keep death, traditional funeral and cremational burial on their books for the customers who could afford to lose a loved one. So Sally and her mummy were sitting in the living room next to her father's dead body as they talked over the packages that were available. The cheapest one on offer was pretty useless. It just involved stuffing her father's corpse with a type of material that was typically used in cushions and soft toys, and fitting him with a voice box so that when you squeezed it, it would utter a selection of up to eight phrases. It was there to just make you feel as if your deceased loved one was still with you. Typically, people only utter the same seven or eight phrases on a daily basis anyway. Yes, dear. No, dear. How was your day, dear? What's for dinner? Oh, I've had a hard day at work again. The cheap taxidermy package was available if you couldn't afford something a bit more realistic. Sally's mummy wanted the limbs package so that daddy could still work for a living. Excellent choice, madam, said the death director. If you'd just like to enter your bank details here. The men from the death directors left that day with the body. They told Sally and mummy that he should be ready in about a week or two. She could apply for bereavement allowance until they'd finished. Sally's mummy signed up for the work revival scheme. She would pay off the cost of her husband's post-life operations in instalments over a 20-year period. It was all fairly simple. 
it was almost as if low-income families had been factored into the equation when immortality had first been put on the market, which naturally they had been. Just about managing families like Sally's would need immortality just as much as everyone else, and the technology was in fact a lot cheaper than the companies that provided the service let on. If there were customers who required their services, then why not market a cheaper option? It just made sense. A few weeks later, Sally's mummy got home to find Sally and the babysitter in the living room, where a human-sized package had been delivered by pallbearers earlier that day. Sally's mummy cut open the cardboard coffin and found her husband neatly wrapped in bubble wrap and lying in a bed of polystyrene. His eyes were closed. He looked almost peaceful. Sally, could you go to your room, please? Mummy had asked. Sally didn't know why her mummy wanted her out of the room while she opened her father. Her mummy's face had fallen when she'd seen her husband lying there in that box, and she didn't know why. Sally's mummy didn't let her spend much time with Daddy after that. Sally had only seen him in the hallway a few times. Daddy slept in the hallway now. He had metallic braces holding his body upright. The braces were woven through the skin on his arms, legs and torso, acting as a robotic exoskeleton. He had a strange piece of machinery fixed to the side of his head with an outlet for a charger cable that Mummy would plug into the hall socket every night. He slept bolt upright, which confused Sally. Wasn't he uncomfortable? Why didn't he sleep in the big bed with Mummy anymore? Sally had thought the entire reason they'd resurrected him in the first place was so that nothing would change, but everything had changed. Everything was different now. Different and wrong. Sally always remembered the first day she followed her dead father to work. She'd been very careful not to let Mummy see that she was spying on Daddy. It was very early in the morning, the sun was only just coming up, and the sky outside was a deep blue. Her father's mechanical body reacted to the faint glimmers of sunlight slowly creeping through the window at the end of the hallway. The machine on his head activated, and held his eyes wide open. It almost made it look as if he was still alive, but he wasn't blinking. His face was pale and expressionless. Peering out of her room, Sally's heart began to beat faster and faster as her father's body sprang to life. It made slow whirring noises as his motorised feet took him over to the stairs. Sally slowly and silently padded along the hallway and watched her father as he headed downstairs where he put on his jacket and his shoes and he left and closed the door behind him. Sally decided to follow him. She went to put on her coat over her fluffy pink dressing gown. She was sure she'd be back before Mummy woke up. Sally had never been allowed out in the village at this time before, and she'd certainly never been allowed out on her own. She wasn't really on her own though, was she? Her daddy was lumbering to work just a few hundred yards ahead. She'd been allowed outside with daddy when he was alive, so she wasn't breaking the rules just because he was dead. Not really. She was quick and sneaky at first, hiding behind bins and street corners, wherever she found somewhere just out of sight in case her daddy looked behind him. But he never did, and she realised that she could probably just walk a few hundred yards behind him and be almost certain that he wouldn't notice. It turned out that the small box on his head hadn't reanimated his ears. Hearing wasn't necessary for daddy's job, so why bother giving him it? 
She followed her daddy to the cemetery at the edge of town. She'd passed the cemetery a few times before when she'd been out with mummy on the weekends, but she'd never been allowed in. Sally's daddy hadn't liked his job there, so he'd never asked Sally to come along with him, not even on bring your daughter to work day. He took a set of keys from his coat pocket and unlocked the padlock binding the rusty chain around the cemetery gates. Her father's corpse stopped by the tool shed next to the crematorium. Sally waited behind a bush as she peered out through the branches of the grotty little hut when he came out again about ten minutes later. His robotic body had taken off his jacket and had wrestled his corpse into some overalls and picked up a shovel for him. He looked a right mess. His pale grey skin that had been artificially preserved by the death directors almost matched the colour of his dusty work clothes. He then trudged off to start the morning's work. Sally followed him past rows and rows of graves. There were a lot more of them than she had expected. Maybe it was because her daddy hadn't been allowed to die that she'd assumed that most people's daddies would still have to keep working after death, just like hers. But no, she was very wrong. The graveyard was full of headstones. Her father reached the end of the row where the next traditional death customer would be buried, presumably later that day. He marked out a patch of grass with a can of spray paint and began to dig. Sally watched him from behind a nearby grave as he piled the dirt up beside the pit. His arms repeated the same shovel action over and over again. There was no pause, no hesitation, always the same intensity that the motorised corpse struck the ground with. And he brought out almost the exact same amount of dirt each time. His arms kept repeating the industrial whir of the mechanisms at his joints, ruthlessly efficient and precise. It took him about an hour. Once he'd finished, Daddy marched back towards the crematorium with the shovel over his shoulder. Sally followed close behind him and watched him go inside. Inside, she saw Daddy tending to a large human-sized black bag on a plinth at the centre of the room. He unzipped the bag and revealed another dead body. The body was naked and pale and a bit older than Daddy was. She stood and watched for a while as her father dressed the corpse in a nice suit that would never be seen again. He then wheeled over a brand new coffin on a trolley and parked it next to the plinth and locked its wheels into place. His strong robotic body lifted the dead man over the wall of the shiny new coffin and manoeuvred it into a peaceful looking position. It was then that Sally accidentally knocked against the door. Her dead father looked up at that moment. She gasped and froze. Her daddy slowly raised his head towards the flicker of movement that she caused just in the corner of one of his reanimated eyes. She could feel her heart pounding furiously through her entire body as the walking corpse fixed its gaze upon her. It held that unblinking expression for a while. The intensity of his gaze was magnified now that she was seeing him this close. It almost looked as if he recognised her. He continued to stare at her, transfixed, the box on his head now shining with the reflection of the amber rays of the rising sun flickering through the windows of the crematorium. Her father's jaw lowered ever so slowly, and with his rotting throat, he uttered this terrible hoarse howl. <sighs> the
the motorised corpse started shuffling towards her. Sally staggered back as the writhing mass of preserved pale flesh and juddering mechanical arms got closer and closer. She fell over onto the gravel outside. Holding up her arms, she closed her eyes and cried out as the corpse towered over her. But then, there was nothing. The body lurched straight past her and it headed towards the cemetery gates, where an ambulance was arriving from the local hospital. Sally sheepishly left the graveyard as the living man delivered a fresh corpse to the dead one. She slowed up and watched for a moment as the mechanical arm that was attached to the preserved flesh of her father held his hand over the delivery man's little proof of delivery machine and signed his name. Sally couldn't stop thinking about it as she headed home and crept back in, careful not to wake her mother. In the years that followed as Sally grew up, she often snuck out early in the morning to watch her father go about the graves. She'd always watch from a distance, as she couldn't stomach being that close to him. His body would start to smell of decay towards the end of a shift, and she and her mother would have to recoat him in preservative fluid so he didn't stink the house out. Maybe one day they'd be able to afford to let him just die. Until then, her father continued to work at the graveyard to pay for Sally and her mother to continue living there. Well, not good life as such, but it was stable. They weren't that deep in debt anymore, and they would finish paying the death directors off someday. As she sat and watched her father dig those graves, she'd think about the day that they'd finally be able to afford to let him just be still. This podcast was funded by my Patreon project at patreon.com slash stewbagfull. I'd like to thank the following people. A. Maxwell, Aniron Hunt, Chris Lim, Connor Pape, Dave Sanders, Deneb, Gordon Williams, Jennifer Milligan, Joel, Joanna Kirkpatrick, Louise Wade, Matthew Branch, Max Kennedy, Michael Graham, Nesta Middleton, Oxbow Isamsty, Pastel Witch, Richard Adams, Robert Conley, Ryan Scott, Ruyane Scoot, and So Incredibly Tired. If you have any thoughts about this podcast, why not email them to stewbagful at gmail.com. That's S-T-U-B-A-G-F-U-L at gmail.com.